0: You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see, you are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of it belongs in a museum.
1: Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining us this week to talk about Marvel Treasury Edition number 16, starring Marvel's. Greatest non-team, the Defenders, is a musician and all-around comics nerd, Dallin Baumgarten. Hi, Dallin. Well, hello, Rob. <laughs> I added that uh, comics nerd part to the intro. Hope you don't mind. Oh no,
2: that's uh, that's spot on. <laughs> so, I, so I figured as much.
1: So, uh, <laughs> well, this is awesome. This was this is a really great treasury, and we will we will talk about it in depth shortly. But I need to ask you, like, what is your history with this format did you have them as a kid did you have them later on let me what's your what's your deal with these uh
2: yeah i had them as a kid uh my history with treasury editions is bittersweet um i had a handful as a kid um i don't remember which one was my first but i guess if i i mean i i kind of need to research that see which ones came out first but i had the i think i had the marvel number two which was fantastic four okay and i had a few different dcs but uh the reason i say bittersweet is that uh, of all the the comics that i bought and collected as a kid they're the ones that the ones that got away they just vanished into the ether at some point and uh i, I think everybody knows the you know the the pain of dealing with that different size book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so yeah. I don't know. I don't remember exactly where I had stored them or what happened to them. I think, you know, they, there might've been a water main, uh, like a, you know, water heater that broke, Oh no! but <laughs> you know what I mean? And a box got uh, ruined and tossed out and nobody really told me what was in that box. I don't know where they went, but it's the only thing I'm missing, you know, Aww. <laughs> I've, I've gotten, but you know, uh, you know, I've gotten, most of the ones I had as a kid back over the years and, and plenty that I never had. And this was one that I did not have as a kid. Oh, okay. Okay. This one I only picked up, uh, in the last like decade. I don't remember. I might've been six, seven years ago or something like that.
1: Now you were a fan of the defenders. I assume as a kid, oh, up, man. Or you love that book,
2: huge fan of the defenders. Yeah. And, um, uh, all except for the second story in this book, uh, those were not stories that I had as a kid, though. Those oh, early okay. issues. Okay. Those early issues eluded me for many decades. And uh, it's only in this last year that I finished my Defenders run and uh, have been reading through the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, my first issue, of the Defenders had Luke Cage in it, and it was a Steve Gerber issue. Oh, boy. And You know what I mean? It just, yeah, it blew my mind. <laughs> they, <laughs> no. I just missed a storyline where Nighthawk... Uh, somebody had stolen Nighthawk's brain, but, <laughs> but in the but in the issue that I was reading, they were talking about it. You know, like, oh, Nighthawk just got his brain back. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's you can't just drop that line into a comic. We have to explain that. Wait a minute, hold on. Oh, but that was the magic of it, anyway. But uh, yeah, I didn't have this issue, but I had several that were well-loved.
1: Oh, that's very cool. Well, that's it. That's the, bets these, what these things were to me, you know, they were beloved additions. Now I do need to ask you something though. you have been a professional musician for like decades now. And like when, when you were like, when you were younger and you were like going on tour and you were, were there a lot of other people in your line of work that were comic book fans or were you kind of an odd man out on that?
2: Um, you know, that's, I'll try to keep this answer brief, but there was, uh, I was on comic book hiatus for many years. Okay. Um, I was, you know, I was a broke musician living in Los Angeles and I was spending my money on, you know, guitar strings and right. <laughs> amplifiers, you know, so quite literally, you know? So there was a time, uh, you know, in high school where I, they, you know, comics faded out for me and, uh, I always kind of kept, you know, peripheral view and I was always kind of. Maybe I'd pop into a shop and just see what was going on, but I wasn't really buying them because I knew that it was just, you know, I was going to, I was going to go hog wild at some point. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So what, you know, uh, in the bands that I played in, you know, played in and play in now, like, no, there's, I don't really come across very, very many people that have the passion for it that I do. And if there were some along the way, uh, maybe I didn't say anything, so I wouldn't have known.
1: <laughs> Everybody's secret but, shave or something.
2: Yeah, but I, I do wish know. that I, I could go back to those those years when I was touring, you know, pre-family, and I, you know, I would have been hitting a lot more comic shops in well, yeah, lot but... more cities. You know, <laughs> that's
1: what I was thinking of. It's like you, yeah. have, you you have a very unique experience that you would get to visit comic shops that the rest of us can only dream about because yeah, you're, you're was... bopping all around the country and even the world
2: no it was a missed opportunity and i was you know and i was i was mostly single then so i was i was more interested in hitting the clubs and right. <laughs> trying sure. to meet girls but uh,
1: surprisingly enough girls are not hanging out uh, in the uh, long box uh no, <laughs> long, musty long long boxes. yeah
2: no. it's
1: changed now but back in the day yeah definitely not so all right well that's i can understand that that's uh Completely rational. So, all right. Well, very cool. He said, "Well, this said this this book. As I mentioned, it's Marvel Treasury number sixteen. It came out on February fourteenth, nineteen seventy eight. Strange, right? It's, uh, you know, give your loved one the gift of the Defenders uh, for this uh, Valentine's <laughs> Day. It features a uh, it features a great cover by Gil Kane and Bob Wyachek and it's got the Hulk and Submariner, Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, Nighthawk, and and Valkyrie. Uh, I mean, it's it's just super. I mean." But the fact that this came out in 1978, it, it, the the cover, which is original to this edition, certainly yeah. is underscoring kind of like, hey, the Hulk's a TV star now, so let's put him, you know, right in the front ahead oh, of all sure. the other team members.
2: Yeah, uh, but we can't talk about this cover without me uh, picking a bone about it. All right. I mean, who, who on this cover is a little bit out of place?
1: A little bit out of place? Yes. Uh,
2: what do you – I don't know what you mean. Well – The Silver Surfer appears in all of three panels. Oh, that's true, yeah. In the entirety of this Treasury Edition.
1: Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about it, but you're right. Yeah, he's not represented in this book really at all, and yet they got him on the cover.
2: And he could have been just kind of shoehorned in there, too. He's kind of up in the corner there. He might not have even been there.
1: Yeah, he does. So, yeah, he's like he's practically partly cut off, even on the, off the right hand yeah. side. So yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah. I always marveled at that—no pun intended—that you know, for the defenders being you know the quote-unquote like the alternative Avengers, like the kind of alt team, they are probably pound for pound the most powerful team in the Marvel universe. I mean, if you've got a team <laughs> that has Namor, <laughs> Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, and the Hulk, all your bases are pretty much covered.
2: Yeah, it's true. A lot of super teams have that one bruiser and everybody else is, you know, maybe Captain America's strength or they have they have their powers and whatnot. But you're right. There's these guys can move some mountains.
1: Yeah. And there's even a reference to that in in one of the stories that we'll get to is about how powerful they oh, are. Right. I mean, he's like, yep. <laughs> you've got you've got two super strong guys, one guy with cosmic powers, another guy with mystical powers you're like what else do you need here? But anyway, so I love this cover. It's Hulk smashing into the ground and the event, the event, the rest of the uh, defenders behind him. So it's a, it's a very dynamic. I mean, Gil Kane, man, in the seventies, you can't, really yeah, go, can't um, go wrong.
2: I will say, and I'm not the only one that said this. I will say that, you know, Gil Kane's Hulk is not my favorite Hulk, mm-hmm. but that's, that's nitpicking. You know I mean? He does almost everything so well. Yeah, and there's one or two characters that, you know, I mean, it's, the Hulk for me, for some reason, is, is Sal Buscema. And uh, this Hulk on this cover, he's got like a very boyish face. <laughs> yeah, know? he does. Yeah, I can see that. I don't, yeah. I don't need him to be ugly Hulk, but he does look very, very childlike on this. It's kind of strange.
1: He doesn't have that giant uh, nasal labial trough thing that Sal Buscema <laughs> liked to put in, <laughs> in his Hulk. Exactly. Hulk always had like a, like a foot between his nose and his mouth. He always had the oh, thing. Yeah,
2: so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. it's true.
1: It's true. But uh, no, I like it. It said it's a, it's a nice cover. So you got on the, uh, on the inside covers, an index of the, the stories you're about to get. And then the, it gives all the credits. Archie Goodwin, the great Archie Goodwin, was the uh, the editor for this particular uh, book. So the first story that's reprinted is Day of the Defenders from Marvel Feature Number no. 1. It's by Roy Thomas, Ross Andrew, and Bill Everett. And uh, after being called to the deathbed of his old foe Yandroth, Dr. Strange is warned that Yandroth has created a doomsday machine called the Omegatron set to destroy the earth five hours after it's activated. In order to save the world, Dr. Strange gathers the aid of Namor and the Hulk to find the Omegatron and destroy it. The three heroes find the machine in a lighthouse in Maine. Strange eventually finds the Omega Hedron, which explains that Yandroth sent Strange on this path intentionally so that it could harness the power from Strange's allies. Oops. Oops. Namor and the Hulk soon enter and leave, uh, and leaving Strange to try and explain not to harm the machine or else the planet will be destroyed. The two take this as a hallucination presented to them by the Omegatron and attempt to force their way past. Strange left no other option, it pits his friends against each other, making them see hallucinations to fight one another. Strange then casts a spell around the lighthouse, slowing down the progression of time to an eternal crawl so that it will be centuries before the Omegatron finally counts down its final moments before detonation. With the threat of the Omegatron at least postponed indefinitely, Strange explains what happened, and they prepare to disband. Doctor Strange declares that they sh- should they need to reunite, they will be called the Defenders. But Hulk, having already been in the Avengers and not liking it, expresses his, deta- his distaste for the idea of being as part of a team. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Is <laughs> that so Dan- the only one? Yeah, really. So, all right, Dan, what did you think of
2: this uh, initial story? Uh, it's, I mean, it's... It's a defender story because it's absolutely nuts. <laughs> um, no, I like this story a lot. It's it's got a little bit of the, you know, the holdover to the Silver Age goofiness, but not too much. Uh, but it's just, yeah, it's just a whack story.
1: I love the idea that the that they don't solve this problem, that the Omegatron will just it will go off in several centuries. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna slow time down. Like, wow, that's it. That's that's your solution, Doctor Strange. I, I,
2: I don't think he was bringing his A-game that day because <laughs> uh, if you know anything about the Defenders, this exact problem rears its head in just a few scant issues. So he didn't take care of it for very long.
1: Right. I mean, what happens if Dr. Strange gets killed? Like, does his spell wear off? I mean, what, all of a sudden the Omega Omegatron goes know. off in five hours? It, 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 I do I mean. Know. This story can't – they can't resist, of course, having all the Marvel characters fight one another. That was such a, a trope yeah. of these things. Yeah. And I, I, do, I sort of like it when Doctor Strange is the uh, is the apparition, and he's sort of like mocking the Hulk. And he's oh, like, yeah. Vipers of Valtrow, I dare not hope for this. Something in the Hulk's warped nature enables him to see and hear my astral self. So the Hulk tries to smash him with a tree, and the Hulk's like, you see, Hulk? You can do nothing to hurt a man who isn't there. And, he, and he's, he's got his just, arms out and he's just like making fun of the Hulk. Like,
2: he's God, just you? such an a hole.
1: Yeah. And
2: that's, I mean, that's the Defenders in a nutshell. It's like, it's in the beginning, it was just a bunch of a holes trying to get along. <laughs> I mean, they're, it's a uh, metaphor they're all for life, to, I would say. Yeah, they're all trying to out, you know, jerk each other. It's like that. That's a, yeah, that's a little bit out of Doctor Strange's character, but his character evolved a lot over the course of the beginning of this book.
1: Right, right, and he's like I said he's got to be the team leader, and that's probably not even something that necessarily comes to him naturally. At the same yeah. time, I would not want to try to be the team leader of a team that has Namor and Hulk on it.
2: Oh, I mean, man. they're two
1: giant hotheads that can rip a mountain apart. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, that's uh, at yeah. least at least when Silver Surfer comes into it later, he's a little more on the calm side. But I mean, this is this is an impossible group to try and organize.
2: Yeah, yeah. I uh, there's one thing about this story that I. I don't think I had noticed the first few times I'd read that the original issue, but I noticed it this time. Now, obviously, Yandroth's uh, plot is just you know insane. He's got <laughs> his ego is so big that well, if I'm going to die, I'm taking you know the planet with me. Um, but what I didn't notice was uh, you know how the doctors say that he got hit by a truck, mm-hmm. and then later. When he's talking to Dr. Strange, he says, um, "He says, don't you want to hear what I did, Strange, or have you guessed? The Omegatron will be automatically activated by my death, the death I planned. It will explode every day. And he goes on, but it's like, that was part of the plan, was to get hit by a truck? <laughs> you know, I didn't even really think about that, but yeah. Did he orchestrate? Did I mean, did he hire a truck driver? Did he just jump out in front of one? What if it it would have killed him immediately? I mean, that's the death I planned. I never noticed that. Like, he planned to get hit by a truck. That seems like a painful way to go out, too. Ah, man. He's really – yeah, he really wants to get the upper hand on everybody. Just
1: moments before (laughs) – yeah, I mean, I guess days before Yandroth took out an insurance policy against himself or something like that. So it pays off. He's like, oh, he just happened to be hit by a truck. Uh, what do yeah. you think of the um, What do you think of the artwork? Ross Andrew and Bill Everett are a kind of weird combination. I'm not familiar with Bill Everett as a, just an inker. I mean, we just talked about him uh, a couple of weeks ago on um, the uh, the Marvel Comics number one story that he did for, with Namor. Of course, Namor was his character, but uh, here he's just an inker, and he has a very interesting inking style when it's com- com- matched with Ross Andrew.
2: Well, do you do you know the story of this? particular issue uh, uh not particularly no well everett inked i mean he did ink you know once in a while you'd yeah. see rare you know just whatever uh sporadic issues where he was the anchor and whatnot but he inked a few different issues at the beginning of this run and apparently now i learned this from another podcast are we allowed to mention other podcasts on of here? course or is it like is it like johnny carson yeah you know, <laughs> later in the week on another network Um, I'll just bleep it out if I don't like it. (laughs) Well, for for people that are obsessed with The Defenders, there's a a podcast called Defenders Dialogue. And it was on there. Uh, Brian Keane and Christopher Golden are the hosts. And they're both writers. And they're they're kind of in the industry, so they know a lot of people. But this story came from the Marvel uh, Masterworks version of this story reprinted. There's a foreword by Roy Thomas where he talks about the inking job in this issue. And as the story goes, uh, Ross Andrew had a habit of over-penciling. He would just put a lot of lines in, and then he left it up to the inker to decide which lines to ink. Oh, wow. Well, apparently, according to Roy Thomas, uh, Everett decided to teach him a little lesson. (laughs) And he, he inked every line that Andrew penciled.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Oh, and wow, that's why it looks the way it looks. And as the story goes in this forward, I think the quote goes something like Roy Thomas said to say that Stanley was upset when he saw the inks is an understatement. He was livid. And so I don't, I don't know how Everett kept working after that because he did ink some, you know, I think he inked uh, the very next issue or the third issue. Uh, but, um, yeah, apparently he deliberately tried to make it look a little bit like a mess. Now, uh, you asked me what I thought of the pencils. Now, overall, I think they're really interesting and I like them. There are definitely certain panels where you're like, wait, what, yeah. what is going on there? And then there are other panels that I think look, you know, pretty darn good. Uh, but it, clean would not be an adjective you do, used to describe this. Yeah,
1: artwork. yeah. like on page 13 where the three heroes are talking and there's a close-up of the Hulk where he says, yeah. ah, smash, destroyed, now you speak words even Hulk knows. And there's a million lines in the Hulk and it looks like the Hulk has like hairy knuckles.
2: <laughs> a million lines. Well, it also looks like he's shaking with rage. There's yeah. so many little lines going on. But that's the story of this issue. Now, I don't know, you know if there's more to it. Like the relationship between those two, or if Everett just had a wild hair up his butt that day, you know.
1: I never I know. heard that. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, what a weird, what a weird hill to die on. Like, you know, like uh, really? why not just take out the lines you don't like? I mean, if Ross is saying you don't have to ink them
2: all. Well, plus he's weird. doing extra work for himself, yeah. right? By inking every single pencil line. I don't know how long it took him, but uh, apparently he had a little spare time to try to teach this other artist a, a lesson. So
1: Jeez! Oh, I that's know it's a crazy sense. story. Wow. Well, Bill Everett, I think, passed away like about two years later, so he didn't really have a whole lot to worry about, I guess. In yeah. But that's, maybe that's real. Oh my God! Now it all makes sense because when I've looked at this story, I'm like, wow, this really, this looks like almost like the pencils were just reproduced uh, directly. I know that wasn't really the case, but it has that kind of
2: feel but, to yeah, it. And now that makes sense because they, they literally, were. yeah, they really literally were. Huh. the very, like the very last page of the story, uh, page nineteen there's the picture of the, um, uh, it's the Omegatron, right? Up mm-hmm. in the top second panel. Right. I mean, that's a cool looking panel. You can mm-hmm. see all the, that inking looks very deliberate and clean. And, it, you know, but there are other panels like uh, Dr. Strange's face on the, uh, what is it? Like the, the second page, Dr. Strange's face down in the corner.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He's just got, you know shading going on everywhere in his face yeah
1: wow that is that is bizarre that is really really bizarre that's fine you know i would imagine that you you don't want this many lines because of course you're printing on newsprint in 1972 or whatever and the reproduction is pretty poor so the more lines you're putting in the more it's going to muddy up i mean it looks pretty good here at, at a larger size but that's that's really funny. Wow. That's uh,
2: I have know. thought about that. That is one of the interesting things about it, uh, that it's blown up here in the treasury size. And, you know, maybe some of the panels work a little better this way. You
1: know? Yeah. And, huh. <laughs> Obviously Marvel wasn't that mad about it. If they reprinted it in the treasury, well, I mean, I mean, it is the origin story. I could see why if you're doing a yeah. defender's treasury, you need kind of the first story, but that's, yeah. that's really funny. Oh my goodness. Well, that's, that's really cool. Thank you. I never you, heard,
0: never heard that
2: story before. What do you think of this artwork? How do you, I mean, do you, does it? Do you like it overall?
1: I don't think that Everett and Andrew are a great combo. Uh, I like Ross Andrew <laughs> a lot. I think he was, of course, he was a master at figures in motion. He was able to draw. I mean, his, his Spider-Man was legendary in Superman, that he could draw these figures in perfect anatomical detail from crazy angles, and, yeah. and having tried to do that for many years, I know firsthand just how tough it is to, like, you know, put the camera behind someone's left toe and, like, have them in perfect perspective and have it look right. And so it is a weird – yeah, it's just a weird mix. It's just – I don't know. I don't know if – I don't really dislike it, but it's just unusual and it's not something you are – is typical of a Marvel comic in 1972, no. and especially because we're going to get into the next story, it's going to be much more of a style that the, the Marvel fans are yeah. familiar with. So that's really interesting. Uh, cool. I can't
2: think of another book that looks quite like this. Yeah, this wow. Exact issue. Cool. All
1: right. Uh, well, they said the next feature is a pinup, which is exclusive to this treasury. It's a two-page pinup. Hold on a second. Yes, this is not
2: exclusive to this. It isn't uh, treasury. No. I thought it was. I finally found it. It is from Defenders Issue fifty. Oh, wow. Now, I didn't issue, know that okay. the, the same day that this treasury came out, I believe was this exact same day that Defenders number fifty nine hit the stands. Okay, so this was already out in issue fifty. And uh, there's a tiny version of it in Foom number nineteen. Oh, wow. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Foom number nineteen came out before. Issue 50 was right around the same time, but Giffen was, was drawing the book, uh, at the time that this treasury came out, I believe. And he was in his real heavy Kirby
1: style at that point.
2: Yeah. This is Giffen doing his, his best Kirby.
1: And it's got a two page shot of the Hulk, Nighthawk, Valkyrie, Hellcat and Moon Knight, uh, coming at us, and they're talking about that they're that they are the defenders and stuff like that. So yeah, that that's cool. I didn't know that because I looked this up on Mike's Amazing World, and it did not mention where the pinup uh-huh. came from. So I did I assumed that it was an original uh, an original feature, but it, it's crib from the comic. All right, I'm learning all sorts of new things in this well, episode.
2: It would be weird if it were uh, if it were actually a dedicated pinup to have all that dialogue in there too. You know what I mean? It would that would be unusual.
1: That's true. That is true. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, this is straight out of uh, number fifty. And I couldn't remember whether it was or not. I had to go look. Um, but I found it.
1: Very cool. All right. I it. Dallin, I love it, man. You're teaching me something about every story that we're going through. This is great. I don't normally learn this much in an episode of Treasury Weekend.
2: Well, I had, to, I had to do a little research. I had to bring my A game. I appreciate know.
1: that. So, all right. I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny. For people that are familiar with Keith Giffen's later work, I think they're probably yeah. a little shocked that he was so heavy, a, a Kirby clone early in his career.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if it was all the time for him. I mean, I don't know everything that he did early in his career. I don't know if that was him 24-7 and then he evolved, or if he, you know, did it on purpose, turned it on for something like this. It's funny, but, over the uh, course of his career...
1: Yeah, I mean, over his career, how much he would ape other people's styles intentionally. I mean, he went from this to being a very heavy Kirby guy to kind of his own style. And then, of course, he sort of adopted the, the Munoz look and, and very heavily took that on. So he seems kind of like very heavily, very heavily influenced by other artists. And he sort of incorporates their look into his work and then he moves on to something else. Very chameleon-like because you, you wouldn't yeah. be able to look at this and then look at Ambush Bug and say, oh, this is all by the same guy. You would oh, no, never figure
2: yeah, that out. So. Not, a, not a chance. Oh, and they they replaced the uh, at the top corner where it says "special bonus pinup." I think that was slightly different dialogue, different narration from the issue fifty. Ah, makes sense. And they just pasted the pinup part over it. But the the second caption box, I think, is identical to. The way they presented it in the original issue.
1: Hmm. I wonder why they did the pinup in the original comic. I wonder if the story just came in two pages short or something. And they were like, well, let's just do a pinup. Let's put a pinup in here.
2: Oh, yeah. It's almost like you almost wonder if they, you know, told Giffen, like, hey, we're doing this treasury, you know, it's going <laughs> to. So see if you can work in a double page spread into the current issue, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll run it later, and, uh, yeah. and it looks good. I mean, again, I love I love the pinups as a uh, in a Treasury edition because, of course, you get to see them really huge, and you would be tempted as a child to cut this out and paste it up on your wall, and ruining your comic. Uh,
2: absolutely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the scourge, the scourge. But also, this I think this pinup serves a purpose too, though, because because the Defenders lineup was changing so rapidly. I think this pinup is a better representation of what the team was when this Treasury came out.
1: Right. Right And, and we'll see that in the very next story because the next yeah. story is from Defenders number four. It's called The New Defender. It's by Steve Engelhart, uh, Sal Bushema, your favorite, and uh, Frank uh. McLaughlin. And it starts off with believing that Dr. Strange is responsible for harming a woman named Barbara Norris. The Hulk heads to a nearby castle to get away from him. Following with Namor, Strange and the others are transported to a mystical realm. Strange and Namor are then overpowered by the Executioner and an army at his command. Locked in the same cell with Bruce Banner and Barbara, they also notice that in another cell are the Enchantress and the Black Knight. Enchantress explains that after her last battle with the Avengers, she and the Executioner traveled to this realm... And the Executioner soon became the consort of Queen Cassiolena, much to Enchantress's chagrin. Wanting revenge, she charmed the Black Knight into helping, but both were defeated and imprisoned. Using her magical powers, Enchantress turns Barbara into Valkyrie, and with the help of the defenders, managed to free themselves. In the heat of battle, the Enchantress kills Cassiolena and reclaims the Executioner as her own. However, when the Black Knight revolts, believing the Enchantress loves him, she informs him that he was only a pawn in her game, in terms of into stone before leaving with the executioner, the defenders then travel back with the immobile Black Knight, where Valkyrie adopts Aragon the horse and decides to join the offenders, whether they like it or not. So, <laughs> wow, I, uh, I'm impressed. Yeah, I love. I mean, I've always liked Valkyrie. I always thought she was a really cool character. But this, that final page is so great, where she's like, "I'm joining the team," and Doctor Strange's like, well, "We're already really powerful." I mean, um, he literally says, what could we possibly need you for? And she's just like, I don't care. I'm a Defender. That's the end of it.
2: Oh, it's the best. It's just the best. <laughs> yeah, this this issue, number four, was one of, the, one of the few early Defenders issues that I had. You know, coming into the book in like the 20s and 30s. Um, I, yeah, I don't remember where I got it. I, it was probably like at an antique store or something, you know. But I had this issue. Still have it. And it was, it's just a glorious issue. It's, I don't know how you managed to wrap it all up like that. Cause I think you're leaving a few things. Out.
1: Well, have I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, I mean, these, I these Marvel 70 stories are dense as hell. And so you have to kind of really do your best to kind of just get to the bullet points of it. But I mean, yeah, Absolutely. like I said, this, Valkyrie, I think, is really one of marvel's great kind of side b characters and i'm really glad that they finally worked her into the mcu i mean i i am totally up for a valkyrie movie with tessa thompson i just thought she was great oh, in her I, role.
2: that would be fantastic yeah yeah nice. this she's one of my favorite characters of all time and uh this issue was a big part of it but it's crazy how they they brought her in you know they just kind of almost literally brought this character in out of thin air mm-hmm. in issue number four which i love that that Sort of mirrors the Avengers too. Because Avengers number four was a key issue, right? Where all of a sudden they brought Captain America back. Out of not out of thin air, but out of thin ice (laughs) and. uh, But yeah, and then she becomes so important to this book. She of all the characters that are in this treasury. I believe she's the only one that remained throughout the book through a hundred and, you know, fifty some issues. Right. Yeah, I think right. She's always she was always in the book. She, she never. Yeah, she, yeah. she never went away for very long. An issue, maybe, but yeah. So this was a very important, you know, issue for the defenders, and the the plot of it is obviously just again, it's just nuts.
1: Yeah, I mean, just a million things happen. You have all these concepts flying around, and you've got. Really great Sal Buscema artwork. You've got some classic shots. I mean, I, I've always talked about that. I think outside of Jim Aparo, or if you want to break it down to companies, I would say Jim Aparo was the greatest at DC at conveying the sheer violence of a punch his his oh, yeah. when when batman punched somebody it looked like it was a, a bomb blast going off and busema yeah. i think was the best at that at marvel i mean you've got there's this one on page 37 where namor and, and uh, hulk punched the executioner and it's the sound effect is clud and and you've got that upside down executioner yeah. flying towards the camera that was that was like a trademark busema punch where was people oh, being contorted into like these weird shapes as they're flying at the camera and there's there's a lot of that in this story
2: it happens all over this issue. Just the page before that, the executioner clocks the Hulk. <laughs> and then on page 27, you've got a Namor punch where he sends three guys flying. Right.
1: <laughs> but Namor fights on. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's definitely a Sal, a Sal thing. You can't, I, I would love to see the Sal book that didn't have that in it.
1: Really? Yeah, I know. Like, does that even exist? See. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so uh, you wouldn't ha- you wouldn't hire Sal Busem to do a story where it's two characters just talking for 23 no. pages. That, that's, that's
2: it would not look his. beautiful. It would look beautiful, but it it would be a waste of Sal.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I love I really love the panel. It's near the again we have another shot of the Hulk being flipped upside down. But on page 39, there's it's a nine panel page. It's the grid, and it's it's the middle row, and it's the left hand color, and it's when a chantress is saying. Thus, if no other rash fools who seek to hinder us, the enchanter and executioner bid ye farewell, and it's done in monochrome. It's just black lines with yeah. yellow as they are transporting, and that just looks really cool. I love that the color was dropped out. I just like that they're just the black lines. I think that looks and there's these heavy shadows on like the centers of their faces. It looks really cool. I love it. Yeah,
2: I did too. I like panels like that a lot too. Yeah, and you get panels like that a lot in. Books with Doctor Strange, it seems like, and probably any mystic character. It's a really cool way to to show, you know, just like a flash of something. But yeah, it's a gorgeous panel.
1: And then right below it, Valkyrie plants one on the stone Black Knight, which I love. I love that she she actually hugs it. Which I think is really cool. No, let me try. No, it isn't working. I failed. My mistress's powers were not transferred to me. I just – I love that she, <laughs> she hugs him too for no good reason. I think that's just great. Oh, man.
2: And, and I'm sure every adolescent you know, boy was like, oh, to be that stone yes. statue just then.
1: <laughs> to feel those metal breastplates breast uh, clanging up against me. It's, it's so exciting. And but then she, she's – Go ahead. Oh, and then she, but I love that she that she adopts Aragorn at the end. That's on that same page where she's like, I know. Uh, just as that beautiful animal has been left by fate. I just, it's like, I, I. When I was a kid, I will admit, I didn't find Valkyrie as interesting as some of the other characters. But as I've gotten no. older, I'm like, she's really cool. I wish Marvel had done more with her. She's really
2: terrific. Well, Listen. she's visually stunning. Yep. Uh, just you know, she just strikes such a a pose. Not not just her costume or or just her cape or her hair, but, like, it just all together, she just really, she is very striking. And then you throw in the winged horse. I mean, talk about, you know, stepping up the, the the visual spectacle of the book, you know, in one issue like that. Now you can throw in this winged horse anywhere you feel like it. Um, I, mean, I mean, I guess they could have made the Black Knight join the team for mm-hmm. longer, but he's not quite as uh, attractive as <laughs> Valkyrie, but, and she, you know, she's, she's just kind of, you know, this, this women's lib character that was thrown in there, uh, you know, at the time, I guess this was, you know, a, a, a quite a statement, right?
1: Yeah. It's right in the heart of that, you know, and, and Steven guards channeling that.
2: Yeah, she even says when she appears, what was that line that she says when she first appears, um, that debut one page side. is great too. Oh yeah, she says one side men, and let your liberator at that cell door. So <laughs> they even throw that word in there, you know, from the you know women's live, and she's the liberator, and she just uh, I I love it. I, yeah, I love every every bit of it. There is one thing that uh, that I noticed, especially on this story, Rob, and you got to tell me if this bugs you or not. Um, when you collect something, and the pages get flipped. Mm-hmm. from one side to another. Do you always notice that? Does that bug you? Uh,
1: generally, it doesn't. But yeah, I mean, sometimes artists intend things to be facing certain ways and things get moved around. So yeah, I think there's probably some times where uh, I can't think of any examples. But for the most part, I don't think I've noticed it. Well, um, this
2: is definitely an example for me because the the Valkyrie's first appearance when she says, the so Valkyrie is, is reborn, is so striking. Yes, She takes up half the page. But that page originally is on the right side, so it really strikes me when I'm looking at it. You know, if you know the source material, it's it's a little off-putting, but you know, nothing I can't get over. (laughs) Right,
1: is. It it is a great page. I just she transforms, and it's she gets like almost the 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 panel where she's fully revealed is almost the entire length of the page, which is really cool. Uh, Another detail I noticed in this story, and I didn't see it in the first story, is that Namor has an earring in this pretty prominently noticed
2: that too. And it, and I, you're right. Like I've never, I don't remember ever noticing that,
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) but it does become quite noticeable in this story. It's like, did that just pop up or did he always have that? I, I thought the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sal makes a point to draw it. I mean, on the last panel you see it there on the, on his profile and stuff. So like I said, I looked through the Marvel feature Store and he doesn't have it there. So that might be just a little detail that artists feel like they could throw in or yeah, not. And strange
2: choice. Yeah. In a in a sort of women's lib issue. And then he <laughs> throws an earring on one of the guys, you know. He's a
1: tough dude, you know. I mean I gotta mess with <laughs> Namor. So That's true. Uh, so uh, the next feature is another it's another pin up and this is of the Defenders Hangout otherwise known as their non-headquarters they're really leaning into the whole, we're not a team thing and then you see these little headshots of the various members and you've got again, what a lineup of characters Howard the Duck uh, oh. son of Satan Namor Sur- Silver Surfer Luke Cage Hulk Yellow Jacket the Valkyrie Nighthawk Hellcat Moon Knight Red Guardian Doctor Strange Daredevil Hawkeye and the Thing and then there's a little schematic, and there's even I love there's even a little grazing pasture for Aragorn.
2: Oh, I know it's the best. <laughs> now I don't want to burst any bubbles, but this is from issue fifty as well. Uh,
1: wow. Okay. They this, they were they just cribbed a lot from that one book, didn't they?
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's but I mean there was a little bit of a history in the in the Defenders book of doing you know this type of a thing, little you know showing uh, later on in the book uh, their they're at uh, hellcat's mom's house, and there's a there, that was their <laughs> that was their headquarters for a little while was hellcat's mom's house out in the middle of the suburbs you know and there's a full page where they show the house and the, the all the stuff that are on the blocks surrounding it, and they just kind of bring you into it you know and it's I love it
1: they uh, i mean the defenders were so big on like we are not a team, but I mean once you guys have an established hangout an established h q you're, yeah. you're a team at this point. I, come on.
2: I don't remember where I read it. I don't think it happened in an issue. I think one of the writers was talking about it or something, where they wanted to have an issue where Nighthawk uh, held a meeting and nobody showed up. <laughs> 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 Son of I a get bitch. <laughs> Talk about a non-team. You got you got no team. That's really funny. Yeah, these things are these are you know. I, I think you've pointed it out many times, right? Dc was the best at doing these. These little extras in the treasuries. And, uh, but this is just, you know, in that vein, yeah. just a little something extra.
1: Yeah, and it's fun. As I said I love all this. I love this this background history and I like seeing the the schematics of things like you said the Batcave, cave, the fortress of solitude, whatever it was. And you know, yeah. I mean, the defenders base is, is hardly Avengers Mansion, but they have a little they have some things there's <laughs> there's the, there's an electronic eye that you see is buried in a tree and we see there's yeah. right it's a very bucolic setting and stuff. So it's it's cool, I And again, you it underscores how what a grab bag this team was if you look at the the heads and that there's a team yeah. that has you know it has room for red guardian but also howard the duck and son of satan you know
2: oh i know you know and i didn't think about this until today but uh the, the whole howard the duck connection uh if my memory serves me howard never showed up in the defenders in the regular book now uh, if I'm, I'm if i'm uh Blanking out, then I apologize, but I don't think he showed up in the regular Defenders book. I think they, they showed up in his book
1: because uh, that's where they got a lot of the Howard the Duck treasury from because, of course, they marveled at a Howard the Duck treasury before this. Yeah. But yeah. I mean I haven't read every single Defender, so I can't say for certain, but uh, And I haven't read every Howard
2: the Duck yet. Okay. But, um But, yeah, I, I kind of felt like his inclusion was inspired by the Howard the Duck treasury. And the two of them may have never come together if it weren't for Gerber writing them both. So right, right. it's kind of a, an inter- interesting connection to me. But. Huh,
1: okay. I never realized that. All right. Well, I said it's, it's – uh, I mean, it's – I mean, Howard the Duck is now, of course, in part of the MCU – so yeah. uh, I mean, if they and I don't know if Marvel's ever going to do a Defenders movie. I mean, that now that the brand name has been used for the TV show, it probably will never be because it's yeah. like, blurred at this point. But I, I mean, they are slow. I mean, now we have you know there is a Hulk, there is a Doctor Strange. There probably will be a Silver Surfer and a Namor at some point. Now that the FF characters are glommed back and under Disney, we've got Howard the Duck. We've got Val. I mean, you know, you could you could start piecing
2: it together if you wanted to well they also just announced a Howard the Duck cartoon oh that's As, right that's right there's yeah. a string of new cartoons animated versions so you know they could they could get even more creative with that if they wanted to they bring right. all these different characters together in the animated ones.
1: I would love to see that. I really would. Me too. That would be a blast. So, uh, well, so the next story is actually, it's it, the next two stories are a part one and a part two. They're from defenders numbers 14, uh, number 13 and 14, excuse me. The first story is called for sale. One planet slightly used by Lynn Ween, John Buscema and Klaus Jansen. And his nighthawk drops in on the defenders, and, after a brief battle, he informs them of the events that brought him to dr strange 's sanctum sanctorum. He and the rest of the squadron sinister were restored and gathered by the mysterious alien being known as nebulon, who was seeing superpowered beings uh, seeking superpowered beings to sell the earth to him. The squadron then agreed to build a device that would melt earth 's polar ice caps. And flood the planet as part of the conditions of sale. <laughs> I think that's going on right now. <laughs> Finding uh, such a plan too horrible, Nighthawk refused and was banished from the meeting. However, Nebulon ensured that he could not warn the Avengers, making Nighthawk invisible to Earth's mightiest heroes. The best. Over- sure, okay, why not? Overhearing them, speaking of the Defenders, Nighthawk would inst- inst- instead seek their aid. Needing extra muscle on this mission, Dr. Strange teleports Namor to their side, and the group battle to stop the Squadron Sinister from activating the device. However, in the course of the battle, they are trapped in the Mystic Bubble by Nebulon. Now, in the comics, that's where Defenders number 13 ends— uh, but in and then you got it picks up with Defenders fourteen. But in this treasury, they yeah. eliminated the splash page from yeah. December from Des, Defenders number fourteen, and they just go right to the story. So it immediately picks up. And I had to go and dig up the Avengers. I keep saying Avengers, Defenders comic to see where the story split. Because as I was reading through the treasury, I'm going, "Wait, where does wait where does Defenders fourteen start? I can't tell. There's no there's no splash page. So I uh, know, yeah." Uh, 14, which is, and who shall inherit the earth? It's again by Ween Busema, except this one's inked by Dan Green. And it starts with, with the defenders, prisoners of the squadron, Sinister and Nebulon, Hyperion explains how Nebulon recruited and rescued him from the subatomic world in which he was banished to by Thor. When Nighthawk tries to prevent the squadron from executing the defenders, he is placed in the prison globe with them and Nebulon has it shot into space. Freeing themselves, the Defenders battle the Squadron and Nebulon. During the course of the battle, Strange blasts Nebulon with a mystic bolt that reveals the alien's true form. With everyone shocked, Nighthawk uses the moment to fire the ray used to melt the ice caps at Nebulon. The resulting explosion seemingly destroys Nebulon and the other Squadron's sinister members. The device explodes, seriously injuring Nighthawk. However, he is healed by Doctor Strange and accepted into the ranks of the Defenders. So, okay. I mean... On the one hand, I think this is a weird choice to put in the treasury because it so heavily features the squadron sinister. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know they were kind of the bad guys and they eventually would sort of be their own version of good guys. So that's an odd choice. But at the same time, this is the story that brings Nighthawk into the Defenders' fold. So it makes sense that they – as you talked about with the pinup, he was a member in good standing at this point. So it makes sense that you would bring in the story where it it introduces him to the
2: Defenders' universe. And like Valkyrie, he was – Almost more of a mainstay than Dr. Strange or Hulk or Submariner Because right. they all right. kind of came and went. And he stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed for a long time.
1: I, uh, I have a real tough time uh, with Nighthawk's original costume. Uh, <laughs> simply because of that bird nose that he yeah. has got. And at one point, the Hulk literally says bird nose will be hulk's new friend so i love that hulk points it out i just can't take nighthawk seriously with that bird nose i just I, i'm like he's, he looks like condor man in every panel
2: yeah and but that's one of the best things about the defenders too is that the hulk has nicknames for everyone and <laughs> kinda, kinda he really like donald, does it's kind of like donald trump in that way yeah <laughs> yeah but but hulks are less mean-spirited he, yeah um, yeah it's true he just, uh, he just calls him like he sees him as far as uh, the main characteristic of anyone, you know. And uh, I think after Nighthawk calls Hulk Lettuce Lips, he has every right to, uh, <laughs> to, call, to call him bird nose. What did but, you think maybe, of this story in general? Uh, again, it's just whack. You know, it's just a. That's what I loved about the Defenders. Anything could happen at any time, and they bring any other character in to be a part of it. Um, I love Nebulon. I mean, he's, his look is just so oh, he looks like David Bowie, you know, Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just so impressive. And it, and it ties in so perfectly to the plot point, you know, where he, where it turns out that's not how he looks at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, everybody's like practically in love with him the way he's described, you know, He's he 's got that star that.
1: field on his vest, and he 's got the yeah. long flowing hair. You could tell he 's a real chick magnet
2: oh yeah and uh, and then we find out later that it 's like it's ultimately it's it 's distasteful for him to make himself look like that
1: right right yeah. We see the big page reveal and he looks like something out of like Cthulhu he 's like h p Lovecraft drooling monster with tentacles oh. and antenna and he's got m- several mouths and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a nice reveal that of course the, the super handsome, charming looking villain is the most repulsive looking slimy tentacle creature imaginable.
2: And another, another page that is what, you know, treasuries are best for the, yep. the reveal of the, the, his true self is a full page splash and it just looks incredible. It's, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic creature i think they did a great job on the design
1: um yeah and i love the page it's page 72 where uh where where nebulon makes valkyrie and nighthawk fight and i love the way that namor lays that at lane what am i saying i love the way that sub lays it out where it's yeah. all these the, the the panels are the width of the page and we see the figures of valkyrie and, and nighthawk you know, coming at each other as Nebulon is forcing them. And then in the bottom panel, they just bang into one another because they can't stop. And Nebulon just goes, I trust I've made my point. I just love that he's kind <laughs> yeah. of humiliating
2: them. I think that's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. He's just toying with them and yeah, it's it's great. And of course there's just Cial Busema punches every other page, it seems like. Yeah. Just people upside down, mouths open, flying at the camera. It's just the best.
1: And this has got Namor in his in like his little jumper outfit mm-hmm. uh, instead of his bare chested, bare legged thing. He's this is the thing with the wings and the vest and the whole outfit, which I I actually think looks pretty boss. Like it's pretty pretty slick. I think I like I Namor in his classic outfit, but it it it's really dynamic. I gotta say,
2: I love it. And it, you know, it's just in the last few years I was picking up old Namor issues and kind of going back to some old. Fantastic Four issues and I did not remember if I ever even knew that there was a, a reason for that outfit. That Reed Richards designed that outfit uh, to help Namor breathe.
1: I don't think there I was, knew I don't think I knew that or if I did I forgotten it.
2: There's some story where yeah, where he ended up and now I don't even remember if he couldn't couldn't breathe air or couldn't breathe underwater. I think it might have been air. But you know, it doesn't look like it. It just looks like a in a cool fashion statement mm-hmm. but there's some you know uh, reason for it where it actually helps him and then that got reversed you know eventually and Right. I think the outfit pretty much went away but you know different creators like to bring it back here and there because it's boss you're right
1: It is. It looks really good. That's pretty generous of Reed Richards, considering that Namor is always trying to get busy with his wife. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Reed's a nice guy. Uh, You mentioned Sal Busema and all the great punches, and you talked about on the cover how Hulk has a very boyish face. But, of course, when Buscema drew him, uh, here he looks menacing. And there's there's page 58 where Hulk and Hyperion go at it, and they beat the crap out of each other. There's this great panel where where, where Hyperion says – I, anyone who can stand with the hammer of Thor like I can has to be the strongest man there is, and of course that enrages Hulk. And oh, he's yeah. like, no, Hulk is stronger, <laughs> Hulk is stronger than anyone than anything and and Busema really gives Hulk that really creepy monster look. I mean, you got to remember yeah. he's supposed to be the good guy, he's the star of a TV show, he's the star of his own comic, and yet he's really scary, and I would if I was Hyper- I don't care if I was Hyperion or not, I'd be terrified to go up against the Hulk I mean because I would just be afraid he would just break my back or something.
2: I think it's hilarious that they gave Hyperion that that line to be the strongest man there is like you just expected Hulk to stop and go wait did you just say what I think you said are you kidding me
1: <laughs> you not know who you're talking to. You're talking to that's Incredible in my Hulk. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my gig. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, I and mean, it said this this thing has got the giant creature. You've got ice creatures that show up at the end of the where they were where the where Nebulon turns the it's the ray and it turns into the it turns the ice into a, a an ice man. Nebulon blasting the Hulk, and you got the big Cthulhu. Again, he turns into the Cthulhu creature at the end.
2: Did and- we even mention the double page spread with Nighthawks Uh, Horrified face with the the flooding.
1: No, we should mention that. Yes, double page spread.
2: Yeah, brought into treasury size is fantastic.
1: Yeah, where he's yeah. looking at the destruction and everything else. And yeah. I mean, this thing is, uh, I mean, it's very much like a, a disaster film, you know? I mean, of course, yeah. that was the, the corner of the realm back then in, in, in 70s cinema. But you see all the mass of people running from the tidal waves. And, you know, I mean, it's it's back then, it was like sort of just sort of absurdist that like this would happen. And now that we're living yeah. in this era of global climate change, we're like, ah, it's okay, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, but we don't well, even. We don't need Nebulon to do this or mm-hmm. aliens. We're just doing it to ourselves. So,
2: a little too prescient.
1: Yeah, a little too. And then, of course, at the end, it's very sweet that Nighthawk joins the team, which is it shows you how different the Defenders have been in just the space of ten issues. That in number four, Valkyrie is like, I want to join. And they're like, we don't need yeah. you. And then in number 14, <laughs> Nighthawk, who doesn't really have that many powers, uh, wants to join. And they're like, oh, sure, you can join the team. Like, OK, I guess the, the door's open now.
2: Yeah, but not before they have to, like, you know, the prerequisite of saying, well, it's not a team. It's not a team.
1: Yeah, we're not a team. Don't yeah. say that. Yeah, we're, we're just a loose collection of people. Don't worry yeah. about it. We're not a team. But if we were... You would join. We, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's a, it's, a, it's a good story. I mean, again, I think it's... it's Maybe like it does feature the squadron sinister a lot, and maybe you could you could pick something that featured defenders a little more prominently, but nevertheless, it does introduce Nighthawk, and that was yeah. a bigger thing and so and then and on the inside cover of the book there's the cover gallery uh which shows you the four covers i 've never been able to understand. Why, when comic book companies reprint books, whether they be Digest Treasures, they don't print the covers. They do it now, but in the seventies they never did. I don't understand why, because
2: these covers are awesome looking. Well, number number four in particular is one of my favorite covers of all time of any comic book anywhere, and here it's just reduced to a postage stamp. Yeah, in black and white. And, yeah, in black and white, um, and that really raises a question too. You know, I mean, what. What do you think, Rob, is the best use of a treasury? obviously, they're they're just trying to get them on a different spot on the shelf and get kids to notice them. and but they're also trying to introduce you to picking up the regular books. you know, but I think it's it's a little strange when they when they do alter things. I guess I'm just a purist. Like you said, you know, they did away with they not only don't print the covers where they should be showing up, but they did away with the splash page. They turned, you know, issues uh, 13 and 14 into one story. Right. They moved dialogue from one page to the previous page to help make that happen even.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, because you have to do a certain amount of paste-ups to square that, right?
2: they made Nebulon uh, say something at the bottom of 61 that he actually says at the top of 62 if you were reading the regular issues, you know. So, I don't know. I'm a purist. I would love to see them just print the comics and even at the in the last panel where it says you know oh coming in the next issue dormammu you know i i would just love to see him leave all that alone
1: yeah i mean i guess you, you have to think you put yourself in their shoes of where it was yeah. in, in 1978 and they're just you know when comics left the stands they were gone forever so you have to yeah. figure that they that the the audience would not know be able to make that comparison you know, they would just they would just figure, hey, yeah. most. I mean, it, obviously, Marvel would toggle back and forth between giving their marquee characters a treasury as a way of just you know, be, hey, we're you know, we're going to put Spider Man in the treasury. That means we're going to sell a lot of treasuries because he's yeah. Spider Man. But then you've got something like Howard the Duck or the Defenders where, or Doctor Strange, where maybe the sales aren't quite as big, and that's more of. This is a commercial for them. This yeah. is like, hey, you want to catch up? Here's here's a whole bunch of Defender stories that you can read all at once. So I guess it really did would depend on what you were trying to do uh, with this treasury. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly glad that Marvel – I always thought Marvel was a bit more democratic when it came to who got treasuries. Uh, DC really kind of leaned on the same four characters over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Marvel was like, oh, no, we could do – and then, of course, although later on they just pretty much handed the – the treasury format over to Spider-Man and Hulk at that point. They were just like toggle between those two characters. But for a little while, you know, they did, again, they did Howard the Duck. They did Defenders. They did Doctor Strange. They did Master of Kung Fu. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I like that. I like that they were like, hey, maybe we can can boost the the sales a little with a a collection. Because what else are you going to see a collection of Defender stories like this?
2: Yeah, that's true. And Marvel also got, they had a way of cheating because they, they reprinted, so many Marvel team-up stories in the treasuries. So they were able to feature Spider-Man and bring in all these other characters that wouldn't necessarily have their own treasury or be in one, you know? Right. So they did. They, they printed a lot of those Marvel team-up stories.
1: Yeah. It came in handy. You could just use them for, for, any, uh, for anything. I think I mentioned this on... I don't even remember what podcast I mentioned on over the different shows, but there was a thing I read about years ago that marvel uh did a book called uh and it was an unofficial book it was never printed it was but it was it was given the unofficial title of marvel fill-in comics and it was a monthly book produced by various writers and artists and it was designed to you to be used as fill-ins in case any of the regular books went got behind on a deadline And you wrote these stories, and they were written as one-and-dones, so they didn't affect continuity, and they would always feature multiple Marvel characters so they could be slotted into different books. Oh, yeah. And these these stories would just start to collect in a drawer – because they would pile up because eventually, you know, they, they weren't initially designed to be used at any given point. But that you could pull them out of inventory in case some penciler was like, hey, uh, I'm making all the lines on this Ross Andrew artwork and I'm, uh, I'm behind or whatever. And so, you know, you're like, oh, well, we have this story with Spider-Man and Thing. Well, we can run yeah. this in Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or Marvel Team-Up. Oh, I, I Team-Up, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that was really clever, you know, that you could just do that and just slot these books in anywhere. So,
2: But, yeah, yeah the, the Team-Up books really like were handy a, for that. And I think, too, that I, I remember reading that, you know, part of it, too, was they really did want to just keep these guys working. you yes. know. So depending on the schedule, like, well, we don't have a book for you right now. i will tell you what, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come up with something that, you know, with these characters and we can fit it in if we need to. I think it was, yeah, it was a great idea.
1: Yeah, I really like that. I wonder if any of those, you know, never got reprinted and they're still sitting in a drawer somewhere. I'd love oh, to read
2: them. I, I'm sure there were. I'm sure there was stuff that fell through the cracks. But uh, didn't they end up putting a lot of that stuff into, um, like, uh, Marvel Fanfare and stuff like that? Yes, I
1: believe so. Marvel Fanfare did use a lot of inventory that they had and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's cool. And so uh, this book ends with the back cover, and it's a nice pinup of the Defenders. And once again, Silver Surfer is there, (laughs) uh, striking quite a jaunty pose. (laughs) He's kind of like, hey, everybody, hey. how you doing? And everybody's smiling. They look very happy. They're waving, except for Namor. Uh, of course, yeah. he's just standing there with his hands on his... And the Hulk, who's kind he of glowering a little, a little. He looks a little annoyed. But nevertheless, the Defenders are, like, happy. And they're sort of wishing you, uh, you know, a ha- happy trails to the reader there. Hope you enjoyed their adventures in this, this treasury.
2: Yeah, this cover is... Uh, it's definitely inviting. It's great.
1: Yeah. So, overall, what did you think of this as a, as a, as a collection of, of...
2: As a Defenders collection? Uh, I, you know, depending on how you look at it, uh, I give it high marks because the more I, I did, you know, think about it, I think it was a really good way to, to bring a reader in from the beginning, but also give them, uh, the history of w- where the defenders were when this was you know, published because they changed so much and they're, you know, they were the non team, you know, but the Nighthawk and Valkyrie were mainstays for a long time. So I thought it was a good good blend. They gave you the very first story, and, and then they gave you a couple of really good stories, fun stories that were the introductions of those characters. I thought it worked pretty well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really solid book. I said, I've always liked The Defenders, and they certainly deserved a collection of their own, and there's a lot of good stories here. And um, the artwork is nice at this bigger size. They certainly take advantage of, of some of the, the size formats. I mean, I, I am... I was about to say I'm disappointed that there isn't more original bonus material, but they really didn't have any room for it. I mean, these stories really—they—they they filled the book with just the material they had. I mean, yeah, the stuff is uh, the pinups are cribbed from another book, but again, you have to remember 1978. If you didn't have Defenders number 50, you were never going to get yeah. it again. So it's nope. perfectly fine. So yeah, I think it's a—it's a solid collection.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, they now correct me if I'm wrong. Was DC the first ones to put out the? treasuries that where they would celebrate a particular issue and reprint it in its entirety
1: yeah those famous first editions
2: That was not something marvel ever did right
1: no no which is a shame that would have been really interesting if marvel had done that that would have been great to have like treasury sized ff number one or amazing fantasy 15 or whatever yeah that would have been really cool
2: they do it now they do it Mm -hmm. in you know regular comic sized issues where they they reprint something in its entirety, but it's, that's a newer thing for Marvel. They did not do that back then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been really cool because Marvel certainly had its, its history. I mean, they did, Marvel did really good. Uh, I would say a little good, really good collections of like thematic material. Like when they did the Conan treasuries with the red nail story or yeah. they were, they were really good at that. They sensed that they were like, Hey, you know, people probably can't read these stories anymore. So let's collect them in these two covers and, uh, I always the introduction
2: uh, of the Silver Surfer, the Galactus right. trilogy. Yes, yeah. the Galactus trilogy. They did that stuff really well.
1: Yeah. So I said it's it's a really really good collection. It's a, and Defenders. I don't think Defenders was ever like a huge seller, but nevertheless, it lasted like a hundred. You mentioned like 150 issues. That's a really yeah. good run. You know.
2: Yeah, I'm sure they had their uh, you know their their moments where they were selling a lot more, and but um, they yeah I would love to know if you know for instance this this treasury did they put this out because they were selling so well or because sales had dipped a little, you know what I mean? Right. I'd love to know.
1: Yeah. Well, that's lost to the ages, unfortunately. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think that is going to do it for this, uh, this defender's treasury. So Dallin, thank you so much for coming on, man. We've been oh, talking man. comics for a long time and I was really excited to finally get a chance to talk to you.
2: Well, I appreciate you taking a chance on a podcast rookie. <laughs> uh, this was a thrill. Well, I, um, I've I've played on stage, you know, in front of forty thousand people. I I don't think I've ever been as nervous as I was.
1: Oh, for God's sake! That's insane, Alan. That makes no sense.
2: <laughs> it's true, though. Well, that you're did... doing, Rob. You're doing God's work. You're doing God's work <laughs> with this, with these podcasts and your blogs and. And uh keeping this stuff alive, seriously, it's fantastic.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, like said it's been great. Uh, it's been great getting to know you over on Twitter and stuff. And so this has been really cool. And I'm really excited we finally had a chance to, to talk about it. It was sort of funny. I will go pick behind the curtain to everybody, where I invited down on the show and I was like, just name what treasure you want to do. And he could not name one to pick he was just so <laughs> nervous. And I finally just like I just wrote in three, I was like, Pick a book, you
2: know, it's like it's not that big a deal. Just pick a treasure. Uh, yeah, I'm an idiot. I really am. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, this was the obvious choice. Just I'm a huge Defenders fan. And I've been, you know, putting the the run together over the last several years and finally got it together. But I wanted to be, you know, go against type. And I was trying to think of, oh, what books would nobody else pick? You know, like Eric Larson put out that treasury a couple, couple years ago. Oh, the Bible Kung Fu story. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a huge Eric Larson fan. I thought, well, that would be fun to do. There's a million different things in that um or you know something like two thousand and one, but i'm not uh you know I'm not any sort of curvy authority <laughs> so it it all came back to to the defenders in the end.
1: Well, it all works out because I said the last <laughs> the last episode I did was the Annie Treasury, which was about as far I mean, look, I do the, I do these shows just for really myself, and I'm glad that yeah. people enjoy them. But that one was 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 pretty pretty far out there in terms of like keeping people interested in what I'm talking about. So I'm kind of glad we worked our way back into the mainstream Marvel universe.
2: Yeah, I can see that. <laughs>
1: so, uh, where can people find you on the internets? Uh Just you know, look for me on
2: Twitter. It's uh, just Dallin B. D A L L A N B, and I'm mostly talking about uh, comic books on there. Um, I mean, I have, I'm in several different cover bands these days. I play regularly, and all my bands have Facebook pages and things like that, Twitter handles, but you don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to bore you with all that. Fair Just enough. Come, you can... come talk comics.
1: There you go. Perfect. He loves talking about the Inhumans, everybody, by the way. He'll love talking about it. If you bring up the Inhumans, he loves talking about that too. That's a team wow. that should have gotten a treasury.
2: That, yeah, oh, that would have been, yeah, that would have yeah. been fantastic. That would have been really cool.
1: So no pun intended. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> well, again, down thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. And so everybody, I want you to stay tuned. I'm going to run a podcast promo or two. When I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback.
0: Hi, everybody. My name's Hub, and I host a show called Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Every week, we read either a Defenders comic book from the 70s or a New Teen Titans comic from the 80s. I give a synopsis of that comic that I have handcrafted to amuse and inform. And then my good-for-many-things brother, Corey, comes over and we talk about what we found interesting about the comic we just read. It's a lot of fun, and we hope you'll join us for it. Anything you'd like to add, Corey? I like cocaine from an animal's butthole. Mm. It is. It's so good. It is paradise. Well, Corey, I don't really think that's appropriate. We're trying to do a promotion for our podcast here. Shut up. Okay, fair enough. Any final thoughts? Of course. Well, let's hear them. I have eaten all the beaver butt. You have (laughs) eaten none. (laughs) And beaver's butt. is pretty good. There you have it. Tighten up the defense. That's T-I-T-A-N. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. It's probably worth mentioning. I'm the one who does the editing. Catch the wave of the future and hang 10 on it with us, Cowabunga.
1: And now we're back with listener feedback on episode 32, which was the Annie Treasury I did with Emily Scott. And we're going to do comments from the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And first up is our pal Martin Gray. He says, thanks to you both for a terrific companion show to this week's Film and Water. The book looks pretty sweet, but for me, a musical adaptation without even the lyrics? Bonkers. I always assumed this common business was a right matter rather than a uh, storytelling decision. Some of these adaptations had the lyrics. I mentioned the, the Xanadu adaptation had them, and the, I think the the Sgt. Pepper's adaptation had them. This one did not. So, yeah, I don't know if it was a rights thing or not. It may have been, uh, certainly because, of course, the Annie was a play. was a musical, and maybe that had something to do with it. But uh, it worked out because, like I said, it, uh, as, we, as we pointed out, it, it, the way it cuts the, the, the songs out, it just covers over with the plot, and it gets the whole story told without all, all the numbers. Uh, Edo Boznar says, it's a credit to both the host and his esteemed guest that you made a show about a treasury edition I've never read and, frankly, have little desire to read. Thoroughly enjoyable on the art based on the samples you provided I agree that Marvel just put some old hands on the job to turn it com- turn in a competently done product nothing flashy but not bad either one thing that surprises me though is that in many of the panels the backgrounds tend to look better than the figure work surprising because of Vince Coletta's not- notoriety for simplifying or even erasing backgrounds to meet deadlines that doesn't seem to be the case here and yeah that house ad with the Hulk is a serious mismatch especially since at the time late 1982 Marvel had a house ad featuring Kitty Pride with a similar slogan that would have been perfect for the book and it'll provide a link and yeah I remember that ad I remember that that different ad with Kitty Pryde and that's a great ad and so yeah it would have made more sense to put that in the back of the treasury than the, the scary Hulk face but uh, who knows uh, my pal Chris Franklin from our network says fun episode Cindy has the two issue regular comic series but not this treasury if I see it out in the wild I'll definitely pick it up to add it to her Annie collection I didn't know that she had an Annie collection uh, that Hulk ad I can't remember what treasury uh, what the treasury was but it actually kept me from buying it I think it may have been the second Superman vs I was a weenie, but that ad was just scary. I watched the Hulk on every week on TV, but something about that giant face and those bulging eyes and teeth—ugh! Bad marketing move, Marvel, especially in an Annie comic. Yes, thank you, Chris. Gothos Mansion said, I enjoyed the show. Even though the Andy treasury is one of the few Treasuries, this 70s baby has been able to resist. I enjoyed the discussion about how exactly Marvel would adapt a musical. From the show, I guess Tom DeFalco did a good job. I read an interview where George Perez said, working on Marvel's aborted attempt to adapt the awful Sgt. Pepper movie was one of the worst jobs of his career. I wonder if the superb coloring you mentioned was because of the Treasury began its life as a Marvel super special. I only have a handful, and I think they were printed on better paper than regular comics, so Marvel may have expanded the color palette. Just a thought. I'll admit that I have a little nerd rage for the Andy Treasury. Of all the movie adaptations, Marvel could have blown up the Treasury size. They didn't do For Your Eyes Only or Octopussy? Yeah, the adaptations weren't that great, but how cool would it have been to have a James Bond Treasury? If the extras were included at Treasury size, so much the better. Finally, I did own the Andy soundtrack for about five minutes before I donated it to Goodwill. I got in an eBay lot with the Batman book and record set that had Gorilla City, Scarecrow's Corpse. Annie and Batman, that's a pairing for you. Uh, yeah, I... I um, the, the James Bond adaptations, of course, the Octopussy one was uh, reprinted from a British comic book, so maybe there had been some, There would have been an issue there. But the, the For Your Eyes only adaptation, which was done as a regular comic book miniseries and as a magazine like the Annie's, it's not great. Again, it's Vince Coletta doing the inks over Howard Chaikin, which is a weird combo. But nevertheless, I love it because For Your Eyes only is my favorite Bond film, and I remember – buying that comic, issue number two. That's a, that's a mountain comic, uh, which I'll get to on season three of that show when it comes back in the summer. Uh, and so i that that's really beloved to me. And yeah, Gothos, I really would have loved a James Bond treasury. That would have been cool. It, it doesn't really make any sense why Annie would get that honor, but not James Bond. You would think that that would have been a, a, a no-brainer, but that's too bad. Uh, Ward Hill Terry says, I'm glad you mentioned the coloring on this book, Rob. I don't think I would have taken the time to notice it myself. Mortimer and Caletta are perfectly serviceable and ideal for a non comics reading audience, but the coloring raised the quality of the pages. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad that Emily and I had a chance to talk about that because I do think it is one of the things worth worth pointing out. And then finally, Siskoid from our network says, It's amusing to me that Annie's Film in a Water episode did have a tomorrow. You know, I really can't believe I didn't think of that to, to say that. So you shame me, Cisco. I really should have included that in the film and water because, of course, yes, this was a, a two-parter that we did. So thanks everybody for the comments, and now I want to go over to Twitter and thank everybody who retweeted uh, this particular episode. So big thanks to Earth to Chris, KB uh, likes comics, The irredeemable Shag, Firestorm fan, Diac V8 Dabeem. it's Plastic Man, the Mirror Factory, Max Romero, Ranger Gord, Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, Justice Justice Trek 2019, Between the Pages, James Edward, BGSU Batman Conference, uh, Tim Price and Coffee and Comics Blog. So thanks, everybody, for the retweets. Again, it really helps the show get noticed when we post new episodes. So I guess that is going to do it. I once again have to thank my my pal, Dallin Baumgartner, for coming on and talk about the Defenders. That was a lot of fun, and it's great to finally talk to him. I love it when it's somebody that... I got to be friends with online via the podcasts and then I get to talk to them in person. And that's always – that's like a real you nice know, side benefit to doing these shows. You get to meet different people from all over the, the, the planet even. And so it was great to finally talk to Dallin and about the Defenders because that was a lot of fun. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for the feedback. Of course, you can leave comments on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we would always appreciate some iTunes reviews. You can go to iTunes and leave a five-star review for the show. I will read it on the next episode. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Until the next episode of Treasure Cast, go big or go home.
2: (laughs) What's
0: going on? You're so thick-headed that you can't tell when someone's hiding all the way across the universe and wants to be left alone. We need to talk. No, you want to talk to me. I need her to stay. Stay. Uh, Stay. Please.
1: Please. All right.